This morning we have uh, quite a psalm to spend our time in and not a great deal of time to do it in. And so let's get right to it. We're going to spend our time this morning in Psalm 118. And so I invite you to turn in your Bibles there. If you don't have a Bible with you, we do have those paperback Bibles near you. I'd love it if you grab it. Let's follow along together in Psalm 118. Now the context of Psalm 118 is the celebration of a great victory. Now here's what's cool about the way that this week and last week work so well together. Last week we we were in Psalm 102. And in Psalm 102, the psalmist tutored us in suffering. How to suffer well in prayer. And this morning, my prayer is that this psalm, Psalm 118, would tutor us and escort us in the midst of celebration and praise. And so Psalm 118 is a psalm of great victory, likely used in the celebration of the Feast of Tabernacles. The Feast of Tabernacles was a celebration of God's great victorious rescue in the Exodus. The Exodus, the great victory of God over the false gods of Egypt, in which God, by His mighty hand, cut off the enemies with their Pharaoh and rescued a people to serve and worship himself. Psalm 118 is a psalm written for a celebration of the victory of their great God. In the psalm, the, the people are now home. They're gathered in a temple and they're remembering the victory of a mighty rescuer. And in the midst of the psalm, we'll see that this mighty rescuer was once passed over. He was rejected. But it is clear now that he has become mighty and victorious. Now, while it was actually during the Passover week that Jesus entered Jerusalem, the people actually quoted this psalm, Psalm 118, that they had celebrated a while before in the Feast of Tabernacles. And they said in Matthew 21.9, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. This is a psalm that celebrates victory. A king coming in among His people. A song of celebration. So if you hear, as we read this psalm in just a few moments, If you hear the name of Jesus ringing throughout this psalm, you aren't the first people to do it. There were people in Jerusalem that saw Jesus and said, this psalm, it's about Him. I have to wonder when one day, when we come home, and we are in that place of the presence of the King, I wonder if we'll sing this song and remember the Christ once passed over, more than that, once rejected and see that He has become the cornerstone. He is the one that sits on the throne of heaven, that we will celebrate His victory forever. Certainly the psalm will have to be part of that celebration. So let's learn it. We don't always do this, but this morning I want to do it with you. I want to invite you to stand with me. Grab your Bibles and let's stand and celebrate this song 
together. I'm going to read it, but will you follow along in your Bibles? And if your kids are with you and they're shorter, feel free to lean over and help them to work their way through it. Let's celebrate this psalm together as a people, okay? Psalm 118. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel say, His steadfast love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, His steadfast love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, let's say it together, His steadfast love endures forever. Out of my distress, I called on the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. All nations surrounded me. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me, surrounded me on every side. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me like bees. They went out like a fire among thorns. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. I was pushed hard, so I was failing, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my song and has become my salvation. Glad songs of salvation are in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord exalts. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. The Lord has disciplined me severely, but has, He has not given me over to death. Open to me the gates of the righteous that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God, and he has made his light to shine upon us. Bind the festal sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, I will extol you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is Good. Say it with me. For his steadfast love endures forever. Amen. Lord God, we thank you. We worship you. You exalt. You are victorious. And we want to celebrate who you are. You have not only done good, you are good. Teach us to celebrate. Spirit, work in this psalm to create a people that it would be right to call what we gather for this morning a celebration service as we celebrate our great God this morning. 
We pray these things in your great name, the name of the Lord, the capstone, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. This psalm begins with a profound and simple statement. I encourage you, keep your Bibles open. Let's follow it through together. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Why? For He is good. Charles Spurgeon, as I've said, he's helping us through the Psalms. He writes, it's not only that he was good or will be good, but he is good. Let his providence be what it may. The Psalms are are filled with reminders, and we had one last week with Psalm 102, of times of suffering, times in which the Lord seems distant, even absent. But not one time does the Lord cease to be good. Even here, the Lord disciplines the psalmist. Severely, he says, but not to death. For the Lord is good. Not only because He does good, but because good is His nature. Let me put it another way. How would we define good apart from God? How would we define good apart from the Lord, the the sovereign? It's He who creates and defines reality. Our sensibilities, our moralities, our conscience, if they are in any way in alignment with what is good, it is because they have been aligned with the sovereign creator of what is real. And He has defined what is good for He Himself is good. Now here's what's cool. If you look at verse 1, it says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Why? For He is good. Well, what's good about Him? It tells us specifically this, that when we praise God for His goodness, we ought to remember His steadfast love endures forever. There's nothing changing about our God. God knows what is good, and He wholeheartedly pursues it. And God, in His sovereign design and decision, has chosen that love for a people that He has redeemed to Himself is good. Friends, that's good. That's good news for a people who have been called to worship the Lord, that He is steadfast and forever loving the people that He has called to Himself. So that there is nothing fickle about His salvation and worship. Now we're going to spend the remainder of our time focusing primarily on a a sort of theme that is picked up in verse 14. Look at it with me. I encourage you, underline verse 14. It's key. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. And allow that verse to form our outline for the remainder of our time as we begin to consider the Lord is my strength. What we find, we actually found this a year and a half ago when we looked at this psalm. We find the fact that the Lord is my strength gives us confidence in our prayer, particularly our prayer of celebration. Verse 6. Verse 6 says, The Lord is on my side, I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. Friends, the bad news of the gospel, and there is one, 
There is a bad news to the good news of the gospel. Good news implies that there is something, that, that there's some rescue, that there's something that the Lord has done to fix and to redeem. And the bad news of the gospel is that the Lord, who demands justice, looks at me and sees a sinner. Because he sees rightly. He's a discerning God, and He is sure, and He is holy, that when He looks at me, He sees someone who has fallen short of His glory. And friends, that is almost a euphemism. It's a a severe understatement of the reality of the condition of my soul. I haven't simply fallen short of His glory. I am a sinner and a rebel against His name, against His holiness. The Scriptures would call someone like myself, an enemy of His cross, an enemy of His steadfast love. And the Lord, who is sovereign and good, demands justice. And I am not sovereign, and I am not good. Friends, that's called bad news for sinners. But the good news is this, that the sovereign the one who is the very definition of what is good, has chosen steadfast love for us. And He's done it in this way, that He has sent a Savior to accomplish victory where we would have been crushed. That He accomplished victory in the very place that I would have been utterly defeated. We're speaking of the cross, my friends. The cross was for me. It was my just punishment. But the sovereign sent the Son instead. And Jesus was crushed in my place so that I can sing with the psalmist, the Lord is on my side. And it's like, yeah, that's right. He's on my side. It's like, the Lord is on my side. What's He doing here? Why has He come over here to rescue someone like me? Friends, that's the tone of the celebrant, of the psalmist, of the church this morning. Man can kill me, but I can't die because the sovereign has the right of my death and he has chosen life for me. That, friends, that's confidence. You don't get any more confident than that. Hebrews 13 Five through six, we'll look at it in the fall. It picks up on this theme and it says it this way. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. You hear the quote? The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? So, It's when the author of Hebrews is speaking of Jesus' promise to never leave us or forsake us, a promise that He accomplished for us in His cross and resurrection. When the author of Hebrews is speaking of that promise, the author then quotes, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear, what can man do to me? So it's... It's not only in the context of victory over some great enemy. It's also in the context of victory over some sinful desire in our lives, over specifically in Hebrews, the love of money. 
that we realize victory. That he didn't only accomplish a, a rescuing me from the death that was due to me, but he has accomplished the means by which I would have victory over greed. Friends, that's good news for a people like you and I in the place that you and I live. The confidence of our prayer is not only that Jesus is victorious, but Jesus is close and he would escort us to praise something more worthy than the love of money. That we could have confidence and contentment because our confidence in prayer is that the Lord is near. And that is everything that we long for, everything that we need, and everything by which we are satisfied. Let's continue. Verse 8. It's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. Better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. And the, way, the means by which we take refuge in the Lord is faith. We talked a lot about faith last week, that in the midst of suffering, we take refuge in the Lord through faith. And that faith is not only that he will rescue, but that he's better than anything that we might have if we weren't suffering. That to have the Lord near, even if it's in the midst of suffering, even if it's in the midst of trial, even if it's in the midst of a great battle, it's sweet because the Lord is near. To believe that the Lord in His way is good. Confident of the Lord's goodness. And so, I celebrate. I can be confident of this and therefore give thanks in prayer. And then verses 10 through 13, pick up this theme, all nations surround me in the name of the Lord, I cut them off. There's a number of different ways that you could put the emphasis in reading that. But the, the argument actually builds, it's not in the name of the Lord. I cut them off, right? It's not someone wielding a sword around in battle saying, the Lord says, I cut you off. No, read it. They surrounded me like bees, like a fire among thorns. I was about to get burnt up in the name of the Lord. You see, I was nothing in the name of the Lord. I cut them off. I was pushed hard so that I was failing in the name of the Lord. I cut them off. If it wasn't for the Lord, I would have failed. You see, we could, we could insert that line in there because that line is in there. I was pushed hard so that I was failing. I was falling. But the Lord helped me. In the time of weakness and distress... I'm going to run to whatever strength I can find. And the psalmist in 118 says the strength is found in the Lord and he will help those who cry out to him in faith. How much will, will celebrating well prepare us to walk through Psalm 102 when the that time comes? How much will remembering the rescues of the Lord? Friends, it's why we have to gather every time we can gather. And for most of us, that means four to five times a month in this place for what is designated as a service of celebration. It's why we have to gather. Because we have to be trained up to celebrate well when Psalm 102 comes. Let's continue. The Lord is my strength. And it continues, the Lord is my song. The fact that the Lord is my song is the joy of our prayer. And here the focus is celebration. 
That is, the psalmist knows what good is, knows what is enduring, knows what is sure. Verse 21, he answered me. Verse 25, he saved me. Verse 27, he has shown his light upon me. He knows what is good and he sings of it. So that the practical application of our celebration services is so simple. It's not a three-point application. The application of our celebration service week after week is, you know, celebration. That we, the, the whole argument begins from the first note that is played. And the argument continues through the bad news of our confession. And through the rejoicing of a prayer that offers assurance, through a teaching from the Word that holds out the good news of the Gospel, to the very presence of the Lord in communion that we celebrate that He is with us by means of His Gospel and His Spirit's indwelling presence. And we say, that's good news. And we all, week after week, exercise the same application point. That out of gratitude, we overflow into the generosity of our offering and praise. The application point is song. The application point is a prayer of celebration. The, The three songs at the end of our service are three of the most important Because they are the songs where we exercise our faith in joy. It's where all of salvation history is going. So that we can join the psalmist in 15 and 16. Glad songs of salvation are in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord is done valiantly. The right hand of the Lord exalts. The right hand of the Lord has done valiantly. The servants, the worshipers enter the city of God in verse 19. Now, this is beautiful. I love seeing the way the words are used. And what we see is as the worshipers enter in verse 18, they enter toward communion. Now, up to this point in this psalm, all the language has been first-person singular. So you see the word I repeatedly. It is one individual standing before the Lord, remembering and recounting, just like you are in an individual in your seats or standing in celebration in a little while. But those individuals who have been saved, they have been rescued, they look around and they realize that they have been rescued together. And they all enter in through one gate, the gate of the righteous. That redemption is toward communion. That it is persons Redeemed into a people. Listen to the way it ends. This is the climax of the story in Revelation. Chapter 21, verse 3. Behold, the dwelling place is with, of God is with man. He will dwell with them. And they will be His people. And God Himself will be with them as their God. Friends, that's what the last three songs of our service are. They are persons celebrating as a people, recognizing that there is a global people and a historic people that will all be together who have entered through the righteous one. It's as though the work of the Lord has called forth song. That the strength of the Lord 
has established a song among the people of God. His work requires a song in His people. It's not merely that our song is a gift in response to the Lord. It's not that the Lord does something, and then we say, okay, what can we do? Let's write some music. We'll sing it. It's that the Lord does a work, and that work creates a song in His people. That's why it's, you are my strength, and you are my song, and you are my salvation. Here's how it worked for Moses. Moses sees the Lord work in the Exodus. And he's on the other side and he breaks out in a song that was created by the Exodus. It's the content and the joy of his celebration is what the Lord has done. John Piper, in reflecting on the song of Moses after the Exodus, he writes this, The realities of God and Christ, creation, salvation, heaven and hell, are so great that when they are known truly and felt duly, they demand more than discussion, analysis, description. I would add more than simple mental assent. Yes, true. They demand poetry and song and music. Singing is the Christian's way of saying God is so great that thinking will not suffice. There must be deep feeling. And talking will not suffice. There must be singing. That the song of the Lord, that He has created by the means of the strength of the Lord, has become our song, our joy in prayer. And in our outline in verse 14, the Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. The salvation of the Lord is the hope of our prayer, the hope of our celebration. Celebration is the greatest application point week after week. But as long as we live on this earth, in this land, we are awaiting the return of the King. Our celebration has a note of longing to it. A note of hope. The King is coming. And there's going to be a day in which we sing Hosanna in His presence, and He's on the throne. And He won't be dethroned, and we can see it face to face. We can see that place to which we have been called. And we leave week after week with these words, go and be the church. The job of the church is to go and sing of the goodness, glory, and grace of His gospel. That what we are doing is we are singing of our hope of salvation in a community. And by our glorying in Him, and not in lesser things, not in our love of money, not in our greed and our grasping of power, But rather, we celebrate of His goodness as we say, He is enough. He is sweet. I can be generous because I have infinite joy in Christ. We sing of His goodness, glory, and grace by singing a song of generosity and praise and mission so that we can say in verse 24, this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Look at verse 22-24. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. And it's 
marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. You know, that stone, he was not merely refused. He was rejected. And he was these things repeatedly. As the people saw him, they saw him and said, oh, look, a good teacher. Oh, miracle worker. A curiosity, but not a capstone. And he was passed over. I wonder how many times have we passed over Jesus as a curiosity, a religious relic, a moral teacher by which we can manipulate our children's behavior, but not the capstone at the head of our house. How many times have we passed over the cornerstone and treated him like just one of the building blocks of our kingdom? How many times have we straight up rejected him because he doesn't fit within the house that we are building? I look at our communities and I I look in the place that we live and I see people that we are building kingdoms unto ourselves. And our kingdoms, our households look more like they have the capstone of our culture shaping it. That the capstone of our culture belongs at the head of our house. Because we've rejected the great cornerstone. We've passed him over, rejected him. But in the middle of all the arrogance, they look up and they see that he is the capstone of God's kingdom that will endure forever. They see that his cross and his resurrection is the gospel capstone, and it will endure forever into the praises of eternity. And we say this is the Lord's doing, and it's marvelous in our eyes. We don't insinuate ourselves upon the gospel's work. And there are many ways that we have done it, even in the church. That One of the ways that we do it is we say, I am saved because, well, there was this one time I, I prayed a prayer, it was at church camp, it was at Cross Point after one of your sermons, and I prayed a prayer, and, and so I got saved. Or I cleaned myself up enough to make myself presentable. I started coming back to church, and I've, I've tried really hard to maintain that level, that standard. I dealt with some sin enough that I could finally ask God to help me finish it off. Or God saved me because I came so far in saving myself. Friends, it is the work of the Lord, our salvation, that if we are rescued, it is because he is the capstone and he is the builder of the house. I was falling in the name of the Lord alone. Is there any hope that the enemy, the chief enemy of our hearts is our own sin, our own rebellion, that he cut it off? If you had anything to do with your salvation then your salvation is as precarious as your ability to maintain it. If you had anything to do with your salvation, your salvation this morning is as precarious as your ability to maintain it. I look at myself and I say, that's not good. I'm way too fickle. My faith is way too up and down and failing. I'm blown and tossed by the wind. But if my faith My salvation stands on a rock who is Christ. 
then the beginning of this psalm is true. His steadfast love endures forever. So how long am I saved? (laughs) Oh, forever. That's good news, church. If my faith, if my salvation stands on the rock of His steadfast love, Oh, it endures into eternity. Save us, we pray, O Lord, the psalmist tutors us. End the psalm with this. Verse 28. It's the culmination. It's the summary of verse 14. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. So, verse 28, you are my God. I will... Give thanks to you. You are my God. I will extol you. The fact that the Lord is my God is the glory of our prayer. His glory is enduring, whereas my glory fades away like grass. It's burned up like fire, chaff. His glory is forever. And if His glory becomes that in which I glory, then my glory has become forever. My celebration is never-ending. My joy is wrapped up in the eternal. What the psalmist has done in this psalm is he has literally escorted us and tutored us to the precipice of praise. And so, for us, the application point again is faith, that we would believe that He is good, But it's faith at work in our song that we would glory in our prayer that we have seen the God who is worthy to be praised. That we would, in just a moment, give thanks to the Lord for He is good. That our song would sing His steadfast love endures forever. Heavenly Father, You are good You are the great worker of our salvation. Thank you for the kindness of your Spirit's inspiration of this psalmist to give us a song of praise that has been sung by many before us as we remember not what we have done, but that the Lord has done this. And would you make it marvelous in our eyes? more marvelous than the distractions that we repented of just moments ago, more marvelous than the things that distract us and the things to which we run during our week. Make yourself to be seen as marvelous in our eyes this morning and into the week as we go to be the church that you have purchased. Lord, I pray that you would do this among a people, that we would become a celebration people, according to your word, by means of your cross, by the equipping of your spirit, we pray it would be so. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.